Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. A lot of good sports books come across my desk, and when I think about good sports books, a good story with an interesting person, and you've got both in the bus, my life in and out of the helmet, of course, about Jerome Bettis, the NFL's fifth all-time leading rusher, fourth all-time in carries, won Super Bowl forty against Seattle, and, of course, 13 NFL seasons, mostly with the Steelers, but also with the Rams as well. Jerome, when you reflect back on your entire life, kind of a rags-to-riches type of story, what amazes you the most about it? It's just that, you know, I was able to turn my life around and that, uh, you know, I went from, uh, uh, you know, rags to riches in, in the sense of, of what I had to uh, endure. And so it's been uh, an incredible journey, to say the least. I've always felt in reading the book uh, that by the, you know, what you had to go through when you were a kid, uh, growing up on the mean streets of Detroit, the things you had to overcome, that that kind of steeled you, that gave you the backbone to endure the pain maybe and the things that you had to deal with in the NFL. Am I correct? Exactly, and, and and when you read the book, and if you ask, you know, why did you you put your admission that you sold drugs, or why do you put some of the other things in there? And that's really to show you uh, the development and how I was able uh, to grow from one point to the next point, and these are all points that really shaped my life. So no question about living in, the, in a tough environment. You know, created a situation where now I'm comfortable uh, in tough environments. I'm comfortable dealing with that. I don't have I don't have an issue when it comes to that. So I can go out there and still compete and still do what I have to do and still be focused dealing with issues outside. How close did you come to taking the wrong fork in the road when it came to that decision about good against bad? Uh, you know what it. it it was close, but I was fortunate that I had people who really cared about me and that wanted to see me uh, succeed. And I think the one one person who was instrumental early on was uh, my high school coach. Uh, and he came he came to my house and talked to my mom and dad, told him that you know what he had heard that uh, I was doing, and and really was on top of me. And and I really think that was the start of me trying to really change my ways and going a different direction. You talk about getting one's attention. Seeing a friend shot would probably do that. What effect did that have? with you, uh, Jerome? Uh, yeah, it had a tremendous effect, you know, but it, it wasn't the effect that you would assume. It was, uh, you know, initially, you know, hey, we got to find out who did it, that kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, let me stay away from this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was, it, it was scary because it didn't necessarily send me running away like it should have, you know, but, you know, my friends just really staying on top of me and, and you know, getting me to see different things and do different things really was instrumental in me kind of going the other way. How did you end up at Notre Dame of all the schools? Because a lot of 
of people were recruiting you? Well, it, it was it was pretty weird. I really wanted to go to Oklahoma, but uh, when 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 I was being recruited, Oklahoma went on probation. My father said, "That's it, you know, you you can't go there." And so then it kind of everything opened up because I didn't really think about any other schools other than uh, Oklahoma. So Notre Dame came in, and 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 I really liked Coach Holtz and and what he wanted to do offensively, uh, and I believed in him, and, and so I, I took a chance. Coach Holt's relationship, was that a love-hate relationship? Because you tell a story in this book about how he called you out. Tell everybody about that time. Well, when I was uh, when I was at Notre Dame, it was my sophomore year, and and I was uh, being prepped to be the starter at fullback. Uh, we were going through you know summer practices before the season started, and and he called everybody up on the field and and said that you know there was somebody that was going to get us beat and we were going to lose the national championship because of this guy. And so everybody started looking around like who's who's this guy? And I'm thinking to myself going to cost me the national championship. Uh, <laughs> and he said, "Draw up." And he said, you know, when he said call my name, I stood up and and you know my jaw kind of just dropped. And but really, he taught me the humility that I needed to have because I was really a little bit too overconfident going into that season. What did the Notre Dame experience, Jerome, give you that you were able to carry on? Because the one thing I've known about uh, Notre Dame players is that they come away with an appreciation for just things beyond just football, and also they have a discipline in their life. They're taught how to deal with the media, how to be responsible. What did you come away with? Well, you know, I came up with all of that and, and more because, you know, I was very, very rough around the edges. And after going to Notre Dame and getting me the experience and, and I have actually uh, having uh, – people work on uh, your speech and work on uh, your interviewing skills and all those things. I became a lot more polished as a person, not only as a football player, but as a person, you know, uh, and and that was the real big benefit for me. It was a small university. It wasn't a big place. Uh, so there was a lot of attention put uh, on what we did, and I think that's what I really needed at the time, and I, it was so beneficial for me. Of all the games that you had at Notre Dame, is there one game that still a nightmare to you and i think you know the one i'm talking about <laughs> oh yeah it was one uh, we lost to stanford at right. home uh we had the opportunity to uh to you know play for a national championship uh, stanford came in and and uh it, it was just the worst day in the world i think i had two fumbles and uh we ended up losing that football game and lost an opportunity to win a national championship yeah, you said, uh, I don't care how good they are, they're not good enough to beat us, but they did on that particular day. Let's fast forward now into the National Football League. Your life with the Rams for those three years, not a happy experience for you. Why? Uh, you know what, the first year was great. The second year I felt that um, there was some some uh, some issues in terms of contractually they were trying to stop me from uh, reaching some of my performance benefits, uh, one being that if I rushed uh, – for over 1,200 yards in my in, in two seasons in my contract, that it would avoid a fifth year. And my second year, uh, my first year, I went to the Pro Bowl and went over 1,200 yards. So the second year, I was I was playing very very well, and I think they really curbed uh, you know my opportunities, and I was frustrated about that. Then we moved to St. Louis with a new head coach, uh, and I, I, I held out. The new the new head coach uh, didn't like me, and so he benched me, and, you know, periodically, and just became a nightmare for me. And to the point where I actually considered retiring, and I went back to Notre Dame. I went back to school uh, to kind of uh, reprogram myself. 
I know Coach Holtz, when he was sitting here in the studio with me, Jerome, and I don't know whether you'll recall this, he said to me in talking about you, he said, I watched your Jerome play one game when he was with the Rams, and he said, I picked up the phone and called him one day and said, you know, Jerome, there's a player that's using your number, and he's impersonating you, and he's not playing very well, and he hung up. <laughs> he said, that was my way of kind of lighting a fire under him. Did he stay in touch with you all along the way to kind of help get you refocused? Yeah, he stayed in touch with me quite a bit. I actually talked to him uh, a week ago. Uh, we we stay in in in, in contact uh, quite a bit. We have ever since uh, I've been to school there. We only got a couple minutes left. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steeler experience. Uh, you had injuries. You had to kind of pr- prove yourself once again. Uh, when you reflect on the years, those nine years with the Steelers, what sticks out in your your mind the most? Obviously, the most is, is you know winning the championship and and uh, really doing what I set out to do. Uh, uh, you know, coming and actually winning the championship. You know, that's been the goal my whole career. So to achieve that was clearly the the, the best thing. But there was a lot of, of great times along the way. I mean, I had a a, a great career there in Pittsburgh, and I, I, I appreciate that organization so much. What is it about Bill Cowher that makes you so respectful and appreciative of him? Because you have said that you'd like to own a football franchise, and if so, your first hire would be Bill Cowher. Well, I, I just I love the way he's able to manage uh, men. You know, I think one of the hardest things to do in the world is to, is to uh, lead men. And uh, he did a great job of it. He understood uh, the dynamics that you had uh, on a football team. And he was just, he was great with uh, everybody, especially me. He believed in me, uh, you know, quite a bit and gave me an opportunity to to, uh, to play uh, and to perform. And for that, I'm eternally grateful uh, for that. Jerome, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of injuries uh, for you during the course of your career. And also a lot of players have to deal with that. We've heard a great deal about those players that are struggling I think about my visit with Earl Campbell when I was down in Austin, Texas one time and how sad it was to see that. What What is your life like physically now? Well, you know, physically it's, it's, uh, it's nowhere near, uh, you know, that difficult. Uh, you know, I, I do struggle at times with, you know, my ankles feel a little sore at times and my knee gets a little sore uh, from time to time, but that's about it. I mean, I've been, I was very fortunate not to have any major injuries when I was playing uh, football. So, you know, right now it's, it's, it's still, uh, you know, not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I walked out of there uh, in good shape. So I'm very, very blessed. When you think about where you did come from and then ultimately standing on that winner's stand and accepting the trophy and looking out over that, what struck you the most about that moment? Uh, just that, uh, you know, I'd come a long way, uh, you know, from a kid that was uh, stealing and, and uh, you know, doing bad things, carrying a gun in the streets of Detroit, uh, to uh, still being, you know, on the streets of Detroit, but now holding a trophy and, and, and being a champion. And so, uh, and that's really what the book is about. It's about that journey. And and, uh, and I'm so proud uh, to be able to have written something uh, like this. And hopefully I can inspire people and all those type of things with it. Jerome, I want to thank you very much. You're welcome back here anytime on Sports Byline. Take care and come back and join us. Uh, definitely will. Thank you. Jerome Bettis, the name of the book is called The Bus, My Life in and Out of a Helmet. And he says in the book, thank you, God, for giving me such a blessed life, beautiful children, an incredible wife, a wonderful family, and the ring. Jerome Bettis, the fifth all-time leading rusher in NFL history. Quick break. We're back on the other side with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Step into the world of power 
loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Time to check in as we do each week with Bruce Marshall, the fine senior writer for The Gold Sheet. And of course, we have only two games, the AFC and the NFC Championship games. But let me go back to the divisional games. I don't know that I've ever seen four finer games played in the National Football League. How did you view it? Yeah, I think so. That was the best weekend I can remember. I mean, all those games were uh, decided on the last play, on scores on the last play. Uh, and, and, you know, that's four games, three of them field goals in the last play and one an overtime touchdown. So that's four games decided by you know, 15 points. You can't get much closer than that. Um, and the thrills and the way they came out and the way some of those games ended. I mean, the great comeback by Tampa Bay late in the game, the last two minutes of the Bills Chiefs. Um, how about, uh, you know, the 49ers finding a way to, to win that thing and then gutting out that last drive in the cold up at Lambeau. So it was all pretty darn good. Can't get much better than that. My only regret, Ron, is that in the playoffs thus far, which have been really good, really sucked it up last weekend, we didn't get to see the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I would have loved to have seen him get in the playoffs. The matchups might have changed in the first round had he been in there. But that, that's the one guy who I think belongs on the stage with these new gunslingers like Mahomes and, and Allen and the others who are really – and Joe Burrow. Herbert belongs in that. Maybe in future years we'll see him in there too. But it's a pretty exciting time in the NFL with these new quarterbacks uh, stepping forward onto the onto the main stage. I understand the overtime rules, and as everybody's been talking about once again, because Kansas City found themselves on the short end of the stick against the New Orleans, excuse me, against New England. But uh, I just don't understand why they do, do don't do something different when it comes to the playoffs on that rule. Well, the whole thing. I mean, do it like college does it. I mean, it's uh, there's some odd reasons why the NFL doesn't. But, I mean, college, you get teams. It changes the score, and then and there's betting reasons why that they don't do it. Um, and, and results and score lines can change if you do a, like college does it. But I think that's a lot more fair. You give each team has the ball 
you know, and it turned out the most important play wasn't even a play in the Bills Chiefs. It was the overtime coin flip. Right. And had Buffalo won the coin flip, if uh, Josh Allen had called heads instead of tails, Buffalo probably wins that game. So you're right. You, it reduces it to just a, the coin flip. They did change the rules a little bit after that Saints-Vikings uh, NFC title game in 09. And at that point, the first score, field goal, would have ended the game. Now they at least make the team score a touchdown uh, to win. But uh, nonetheless, it, uh, uh, it 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 does does seem a little bit uh, does seem a little bit odd. Okay, AFC a counter will be the Bengals. Uh, they're an underdog by a touchdown. I see against the Chiefs. Break it down for me, Bruce. Yeah, Ron. I mean, uh, you know, this is interesting. Uh, the, the 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 first at first blush here in this game, you think Cincinnati's gotten as far as it can go here, and maybe it's time to exit stage left for the Bengals. But uh, they're also loose and dangerous here. And you know, the last half of the season, they're the only team that's beaten Kansas City. And in that win on January two at Paul Brown Stadium, you saw. Uh, you, you saw Joe Burrow really exploit and and ex- and uh, exploit a weakness and a potential flaw in the Chiefs in their pass defense. He threw for 446, four touchdowns. Jamar Chase caught over 300 yards worth of passes for three touchdowns. We saw Josh Allen expose some of that the Chiefs secondary concerns last week. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, maybe the Bengals have a puncher's chance here. Um, I think in Cincinnati's uh, case, and this might be to its benefit here, I don't know that the Bengals have really played their best game yet in the playoffs. The offense I don't think has, although Burrow's completing a good percentage of passes. They haven't really erupted like we saw in the regular season a couple of times, that Chiefs game, both games against Baltimore. Uh, Burrow has really uh, taken his game up to the next level, and even though he got pounded with nine sacks last week, he did not get flustered. He didn't lose his composure and completed that pass in overtime uh, to, uh, to uh, set up the field goal just before overtime by uh, McPherson. So this is, uh, this is a very dangerous team right now. Uh, Kansas City, I would point out, even though the Chiefs are favored here, except for the games against Pittsburgh, uh, which the Steelers were kind of outmanned on, uh, down the stretch here. And in the last month and a half plus here, they have not had any other easy games. In fact, they've been involved in some real scraps. They could have lost that game against the Chargers, went into overtime. Should have lost that game to Denver. That was a game, what was going on in that game. Um, the Cincinnati game they did lose, certainly could have lost that game last week. Bottom line is I think it's going to be close here. I'm not going to pick against the Chiefs to loot, to to win here because uh, you don't want to give Mahomes any chance. You've got even a second left on the clock. You can seem to pull the game out, but it can be close. 32-29 Chiefs. I think that's what's going to happen here. Win for the Chiefs. Kind of close, kind of high scoring. And Burrow sets the stage for many showdowns with Mahomes and other top young quarterbacks in years to come. I think the key for the Bengals are going to be how they handle Tyreek Hill because the speed that he has brings a different element to it. Let's talk about the NFC championship game. Third time this season that the 49ers and the Rams have met. Uh, the Rams are trying to snap a six-game a losing streak to the 49ers. And I don't know that anything changes here. I mean, the Rams have a lot of talent, but... Uh, you know, I'm not sure that with the way the 49ers are playing, especially with their running game, that if you keep the ball out of hands, out of the hands of the Rams offense and Stafford, that, you know, you can dictate the tempo and the outcome of this game. How do you see it? 
I think you're right, Ron, and we kind of saw that in the two regular season games, especially that first one, midseason, Monday night, Santa Clara, 31-10 Niners. That turned around their whole season. They were able to reestablish the ground game, which they've done consistently against the Rams the last few years, part of that six-game win streak, and also up front defensively, controlling the action in the pits. They've really been in Matthew Stafford's face. The second half of the game uh, three weeks ago at L.A. that got the 49ers into the playoffs, and they had to rally late to force overtime and win. It was also uh, the defensive front, and they don't have to blitz anybody there. As long you know, with Bosa healthy again now, send those four, uh, and D'Amico Ryan's doing some of the same things Robert Salah did a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl run. Let those guys go out. You can drop everybody else into coverage. They sacked Stafford five times in that game January 9. And in the two meetings this year against the Niners, Stafford has thrown four picks. He's thrown 17 all season. That's too many, but four of them against the 49ers. So they bother him some. One thing San Francisco will do, Ron, and you mentioned about the tempo there, I mean, I don't think they will abandon the ground game. And they certainly didn't in the first game. Even when they fell behind in the second game, I'm sorry, even when they fell behind 17-0, they kept running. And we saw Arizona and Tampa Bay abandon the infantry far too soon, I think, the last two weeks. That'll put pressure on the Rams' defense. One other note. Niners are playing on the road again. They seem to love it. They've beaten the Rams, Cowboys, and Packers three in a row on the road. They're going to have about half the fans in Inglewood. We saw that in the January 9 game. They flock down there. They travel. The Rams don't have the local fan base. It will not be a home field much for the Rams in this game. And uh, the Niners, they've looked into the abyss, and they've pulled themselves out a couple times. I love that about a team. They remind me of the football version of the Atlanta Braves get hot at midseason take it through the playoffs. I think we're looking at a Super Bowl rematch from two years ago. Niners 23-20. I think they do it and set it up in this very same stadium against the Chiefs in a couple weeks. Bruce, I think the big problem for the Rams is not only the running game of the 49ers, but no team has shown, certainly in the postseason, that they know how to handle Debo Samuel lining up in the backfield. They don't know where he is. They can't keep track of him. And he has got really outstanding speed as both a wide receiver and a running back. And that's just something brand new uh, in the NFL this year to have a player of that caliber. You know, he's, you're right, Ron, and he's kind of a trendsetter here. Give, give Kyle Shanahan some credit. And I think this is sort of the creation of a new sort of a position in the league. We saw Atlanta do some of that with Cordero Patterson this year, too. They used him sort of the way. Uh, Shanahan's done with, with Debo, but Debo is it, that sort of changed the whole dynamic of this team. Yeah, Mitchell has run really good, and he's sort of taken Raheem Morstert's role from two years ago. But Debo has added a new and unique element. You know, big plays, and it was his big run to set up the field goal for Gold last week. Uh, you can't dismiss what he can do, and as long as he's healthy, he did limp off the field last week, but they think he's going to be good to go. An extra weapon for Kyle Shanahan. There's another aspect, too, and I'd hate to be focusing on the 49ers, but, I mean, we're talking about a team that's an underdog in this game, and yet you've picked them to win, and that is Juszczyk as the as the blocking back, because I don't know of other teams that have that type of player that can catch, run, block as well as he does. And then you've got Kittle, who as a receiver is good, but he also is a guy that will take you down on the ground and keep you there while the running back runs right by you. Yeah, Kittle all around. He, I mean, he's the definition my goodness, he's like a throwback tight end. When the tight ends were great in this eight, he blocks, he catches. He doesn't drop passes, too. I mean, he gets his hand on him, he catches him. He seems to be the safety blanket there for Jimmy G. And I think the only concern is a little bit the Garoppolo. He had a tendency, and he threw a couple of wounded ducks up there last week. 
Um, you, know, you don't want one of those picked off and going the other way, and it did uh, hurt them some in the Dallas game. That's my only concern about the Niners, but he's, he's got confidence in Kittle. Ayuk has made some big catches, and he can always hand the ball to Debo and Mitchell. There's a lot of weapons on this Niner team. Yeah, I really. What do you got this week for all our Sports Byline USA listeners? Yeah, Ron, you can read more in depth about these games and the new football gold sheet, plus the basketball gold sheet every day. That is a really good read. Nobody does it like we do, writing up these college and NBA games every day. And that's up there at goldsheet.com. We'll have the Super Bowl issue up there um, sometime uh, within the next two weeks, too. The basketball every day. Goldsheet.com. My picks are up there. Also at Vegas Insider and DonBest.com. Okay, we'll talk to you next week when you get an early look at the Super Bowl matchup there. Take care, Bruce. Okay, Ron. Bruce Marshall, senior writer for The Gold Sheet. He has been with me for 30 years doing this. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Time to check in with Roy Eisenhart as we do each week for the segment we call Inside Angle. He's been a lawyer, former president of the Oakland A's, and now teaches sports and law at the University of San Francisco, and he joins us each week, as I said, for Inside Angle. Interesting story uh, a week ago about Major League Baseball rejecting the Rays' dual city plan. Now, the story behind this is the Tampa Bay Rays proposed a plan to split the season between Florida and Montreal, and it has been rejected by MLB. Rays principal owner Stuart Sternberg announced the news, saying today's news is flat-out deflating. It's an interesting concept, Roy, and I know I've heard it floated around before, but I don't know if it's viable when it comes to uh, Major League Baseball having two different cities that they call home. Give me a perspective on this. Particularly in two different countries, particularly now, (laughs) how hard it is to travel between Canada and the United States. Anyway, um, the Rays are an interesting um, organization because they – are among the lowest uh, budgets. They have among the lowest attendance. 
but they have been, for the last several years been fielding excellent teams, and they're very. In other words, they're very well managed. The, they play very well, and they play in a tough division. Um, so it's kind of a puzzle um, why they're not doing um, better, unless you start analyzing the Tampa market as a sports um, market. So um, the idea, though, of solving the problem by having them play half their games in Canada strikes me as not the solution. Um, I'd probably create more of a problem because then they'll draw lower in both of the cities rather than what they would draw in Tampa with a good team. So I think this is a case where baseball got it right. Uh, my understanding is the Rays are trying to get a new facility um, built, and some of this may be the, the old bargaining leverage issue. I'm not saying I know that it is, but you always have that suspicion. But whatever, baseball made the right choice here. Yeah, these fan attendance for the Rays averaged about 9,500 for home games last season. That's 28th in the majors and ahead of only Miami and Oakland. Let me ask you about markets for baseball. Yeah, and what's interesting there, Ron, is Miami is also in, in Florida. So maybe that that says something about the Florida market. You know, as you know, Oakland was always rumored as being too small a market to have Major League Baseball, but it's been established for a long time here with the San Francisco Giants also in the in the Bay Area as well. When baseball looks to put a team someplace, uh, can you give me any insight on the criteria or what they're thinking? Um, yes, uh, although it's been a while, really, since baseball has had to face up to this. But first of all, I, I just want to uh, challenge the assumption that the Bay Area can't support two baseball teams. I mean, the years when the Giants and the A's are playing well, um, there is a lot of enthusiasm for baseball. And, you know, when we were running the A's, and this was back in the, in the 80s when attendance numbers weren't so high, the, uh, we were in the, up in the two-and-a-half million range which was a very comfortable um, attendance level. But anyway, generally, with regard to criteria, the, the thing that differentiates baseball from all of the other sports is that the teams have to generate their um, most of their revenues locally. By most, I mean around 65%. They get some national TV. They get money from the World Series. They get some from licensing of merchandise and stuff. But the teams are dependent on ticket sales, parking, refreshments, and critically, local TV rights. So baseball, to, to survive in a market, has to be able to generate fairly good-sized revenue out of their local TV broadcasts. And not every market can do that. Um, you know, the Bay Area, we say it can't support two teams, but the Bay Area, roughly as a media market, is between 7 and 9 million people, depending on how you count it. So there are not a lot of cities in the United States that can um, produce the kind of television ratings that will produce the kind of revenues where a, a baseball team can afford to have a $130 million payroll, which is the average payroll right now in, in baseball. So 
the number one criterion is TV market. Number two is not competing with other teams that are already existing in the in the region. Number three is um, how much fan support, and number four is what kind of facilities is the city uh, or county willing to help build in order to put a quality experience in for for the teams. And the, we've seen that, for example, in the White Sox getting a new stadium, uh, Baltimore, um, not recently anymore, but in our lifetime, getting a beautiful new stadium. And that's one of the that's the biggest thing in baseball is the fact that the teams have to generate their own revenues. We are certainly in a period of change in society, and that includes sports as well. And I see the NCAA OK's streamlined rules paving way for restructuring and the and the NCAA member schools voted to ratify a new streamlined constitution paving the way for a decentralized approach to governing college sports that will hand more power to the schools and the conferences. Now, NCAA President Mark Emmert said in his state of uh, the college sports address that the new constitution was more of a declaration of independence. And now each of the association's three divisions will be empowered to govern itself what are the pros and cons of this, do you think, Roy? Well, this is one of those interesting cases. If if we had this as an article and we were writing the headline, one headline would be the one you said, NCAA to streamline. The other is NCA capitulates to antitrust <laughs> problems generated by the Alston decision, which we've talked about before, you know, holding that they had to have some form of um, value that they gave to their student athletes. Anyway, um, what I think we're seeing is what you and I have talked about for several years now, and that is a um, bifurcation of college sports, principally football and basketball, into um, the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are the teams that have great television area, have a lot of uh, support from the administration through the athletic budget, have loyal alumni who are willing to help subsidize a high contract for a good coach, and uh, don't have to compete with a lot of pro sports. For example, take um, Alabama, whose colors are red and white, and they have no pro sport in Alabama, unless you count the USFL starting next spring. Take Stanford in the Bay Area, whose colors are red and white, and they are competing with the, the Sharks, the Giants, the A's, and the Warriors. And, of course, Cal football and USF basketball and so forth. So the uh, problem that we're looking at in college sports is which are the teams that are gonna, going to be able to generate the most revenues. And really what's going on is the conferences are taking over and they're going to make up their own rules for how they want to operate, depending on the nature of their markets. And I think the West Coast is going to be one that suffers greatly because of its um, its national television value is less due to the time difference for a 5, 5 p.m. game here starts at 8 p.m. on the East Coast. And the um, fact that the... Uh, the recruiting now is all moving in the direction of the SEC and to a certain degree, the ACC and the big, big 10. And so we're going to see a, um, 
but basically, I think a confederation now, or a confederacy of conferences, each of whom is going to be playing by its own rules. And that's what the headline would be for me. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I want to ask you about a story, of course, uh, with the AFC-NFC championship games coming up this weekend. The Rams want to ensure that next Sunday's NFC championship game is indeed a home field advantage. The Rams will play host to the 49ers in a rematch of San Francisco's 27-24 overtime win in week number 18. And that'll be in front of SoFi Stadium's crowd that included plenty of 49ers when they met the last time. And though Ticketmaster, the Rams informed ticket seekers the, through Ticketmaster, I should say, that public sales for the NFC Championship game will be restricted to residents of the greater Los Angeles region. Residency will be based on credit card billing address at checkout. Um, what am good I luck. missing here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good luck. Uh, I um, think that person who came up with that idea, assuming that somebody for some person and not some artificial intelligence machine came up with the idea, kind of got it wrong because what it does is encourages more 49er fans to go to the game and cheer louder. So I don't get it. Plus, how are you going to practically enforce that? The second and third level of ticket sales, don't they don't care what the zip code is on your credit card. So it's just one of these non-stories. I, I'm sure the Rams hope it goes away real. The the story goes away very fast. Is there any legal ramifications here? You think? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. Somebody can always file a lawsuit, but I I I would put this in the area of um, just bad <laughs> bad um, judgment on the part of whoever made that decision. I don't think. There'll be legal ramification to it. Yeah. Also, let me ask you: since uh, how did we do last week on the picks of the games on the four games? You were pretty good, well, if I remember. Did... <laughs> I uh, have to. I cannot take credit for picking the Forty ers over Green Bay, if that's what you're subtly hinting. <laughs> no, uh, no, all the games. Yeah, I know that was the most amazing week or, or yeah. weekend of football I've ever watched i think every game was just amazing and um the the one obvious sour note that comes out is the uh the overtime format that uh i don't know who thought of the idea that other that one team doesn't even get to touch the ball um and that person probably ought to go work for the rams in public relations but uh, um other than that the games were Incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, I have said that it's the best uh, four games I've ever seen in NFL action. And the one, of course, between uh, Kansas City and Buffalo, in my opinion, uh, just the way that game was played, no turnovers, no interceptions, 25 points scored in the final two minutes, single best game in professional football ever. And and I'd add very few penalties. You know, yes. there's nothing less fun than watching a great play and then a flag, and then you're trying to figure out what it is, and the play comes back, and you do it over and over and over again. The lack of penalties, for me, really improves the quality of the experience. You know, you mentioned about the USFL going to play all its games in Birmingham, Alabama. This is a league that was around, uh, of course, a long time ago, and now they're bringing it back. Is there... 
uh, in about 35 seconds, is there enough interest in football at that time, which would be April, May, you think, for another league? Maybe in Alabama, you know, in Birmingham. <laughs> but I don't know who's going to want to watch it. Baseball is just starting. Basketball's in the playoffs. Hockey's in the playoffs. The NFL can always stay in the news. Um, I, I wish them well. The first USFL didn't work, and I don't know why this one will. I agree with you. Good insights on your part, Roy. We'll talk uh, to you next weekend. And uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Take care. Roy yeah, Eisenhart I'm with us. To it. Roy and I have been doing this for more than three years. And one of the reasons I decided to start this segment inside Angle is to give the sports fans more information so that when they talk about sports or when they have a reaction to sports, they're intelligent about that reaction uh, where we give them kind of the background on some of these stories. And it's been something very, very popular. I also urge you to send us a question about anything in sports, and Roy and I will talk about it or address it. All you have to do is uh, email me at sportsbyline.com, and that's rbar, B-A-R-R, at sportsbyline.com. It's been fun for me to do this because I get a lot of emails from the fans around the country asking about something that I don't think that any other outlet in sports goes into in-depth. That's one of the great things about radio and about a national, international network like I have, where I can get uh, emails from people in Europe, uh, over in Asia as well. So again, send it to rbar at sportsbyline.com. We continue with more of you and America's sports talk show. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.